Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. Join us on a journey as we discuss the choices for the Scottish public as we prepare for the referendum. We'll talk about what we do differently to Westminster already with limited powers and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Because we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry, and I'm also an MP at Westminster. In this episode, I'm talking to Angela Crawley, MP, about the very different approaches to children and young people and their support and rights between Scotland and Westminster. Angela Crawley has represented Lanark and Hamilton East for the SNP since 2015. She is a holder of not one but two degrees, including one in law. She is a former councillor in South Lanarkshire, elected at the age of 24 and took up the role of spokesperson for young people and community resource. She also held the role of National Convener for Young Scots for Independence. And as well as being an MP, she is Shadow Minister at Westminster for Attorney General, moving on from her role as Women and Equality Spokesperson. And as if that wasn't enough, she was named in the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for her work in Parliament in 2017. Welcome, Angela. Thanks, Drew. It's a pleasure to join you today, and I'm looking forward to discussing these issues. Well, I wanted to uh, talk about your work um, on children's issues, and uh, in preparation for this, I looked up uh, some of your earlier work in Parliament, particularly uh, one of your very first speeches that you gave in Parliament about child poverty in 2015. Back then, you were talking about the differences, the different approach that Scotland was taking uh, to Westminster. You were talking specifically about the Tories trying to airbrush child poverty uh, out of uh, the system there. And tell me, tell me what, that was, what that was like delivering that speech, what hopes you had there uh, at the time and what became of it? Yeah, I think I think that speech in 2015 probably encapsulates much of what motivated me personally to get into politics. I, I grew up in my constituency in Lanark and Hamilton East and in the area that I grew up in, as I was growing up, I witnessed a lot of poverty and deprivation in the surrounding communities. And it was something that for me was a real injustice and something that I ultimately motivated me to be more and more engaged in politics with a desire to change it. I think it'd be fair to say when I gave both my main speech in Parliament, I spoke about my experience as a young carer and about the importance as a young person in politics of having a voice and ensuring that that it is representative of other of other young people in society. Um, and I think that particular speech for me was very much about that opportunity to hold the government to account on their record on child poverty. I think when I first came into office in 2015, the child poverty statistics were around one in four or one in five children in Scotland would grow up in poverty. And that's a statistic that sadly has not changed, Mm. no. And if truth be told, I think we spent the last five or six years in office between the EU referendum and the Brexit legislation various snap general elections. I think much of our focus has been drawn away from the key issues. I think most of us got into politics and got into Parliament to tackle. I think I think sadly, I think some of these key priorities of child poverty, of reducing the inequality and income gap have, have kind of fallen by the wayside because of the bigger issues of Brexit and now we face a global pandemic and an economic recession. 
Um, but I would very much, I think, strike it strikes at the heart for me of two governments and a tale of two governments. What do you, we can well, see what, in Scotland. What do you feel that you know, Westminster have actually done since you raised these issues in 2015? Do you feel there's been any real progress? I mean, I was speaking to, in a previous episode to Alison Thewlis about the uh, rape clause and the two-child limit and so forth. And nothing's been done about that. From my personal point of view, I've been trying to get changes for people that are terminally ill, you know, to get them fast-tracked uh, for benefits. In terms of these child poverty uh, issues, what do you, do you feel, what progress do you feel Westminster has made? I think the short answer is very little. Um, I think what we see in, in the agenda of this Conservative government has been time and time again that when, whether it comes to the welfare system and benefits, they have clamped down on the ability of people to access universal credit, of individuals to access personal independence payments, of the ability to empower people who are carers to, to obviously be value contributors in society and to recognise the role that they undertake. Um, that, that very valuable role that I think is often kind of unrecognised. And I think the government had an opportunity and still has the opportunity to rectify some of the kind of hostile environment that it has built around supporting people. I know that um, my colleagues and myself have advocated for a universal basic income because I think in the first instance, when, when we consider financial insecurity as one of the primary drivers for many people of a myriad of other health concerns, as well as their mental health, their physical health, and it also it, it limits their life chances and their life opportunities if they are constantly worrying about heating their home or feeding their children and that for me is something that the government I think often fails to recognise. There's been a very different approach taken by the, the Scottish government uh, recently in terms of, well not recently but throughout the that period of time that you've been uh, arguing this with Westminster, you know, particularly around the, the child payment, about other support for winter payments for children and so forth. What What's your view on that? Yeah, well I think for me what what this strikes to, as I mentioned earlier, is this idea of a tale of two governments. You have the UK government mm. who speak about social mobility and about yep. um, to be able to move themselves out of poverty. But what it fails to recognise is the kind of systemic issues that, that people who are in poverty face. In Scotland, on the other hand, we see this year in the manifesto. And in the last five years, we've witnessed incredible policy direction, a complete wholesale change of policy direction to to look at the Best Start grant for baby payments, for early learning payments, for school age payments, looking at um, a young carers grant, the carers allowance supplement and the Scottish child payments. I think we see where the Scottish government is looking at every part of a young child's life and looking at the, the opportunities that they can give to young parents and parents to, to support their a child from birth through to, to school and adulthood. And I think these are the real drivers of social mobility. And if we can do that as a government with relatively limited powers, look what we are capable of. We've already established a social security system in Scotland, the Social Security Payment Service, which has far exceeded, I think, the expectations of even the UK government in terms of the limited powers we have. I think the last statistic that I read was we had approximately 15% of social security powers compared to the 85% that remain with Westminster. But with that 15%, we have been able to put money directly into the pockets of parents, ensure that every young child receives a baby box from birth and that 
their continued payments throughout their early years and, of their life. And this is this is part of this mission, this focused mission to end child poverty in Scotland, you know. But but again, you Absolutely. know, how, how much more could we do if we had all these powers that are frustratingly not uh, within our grasp uh, just now? And Angel, I want to, um, to to talk about another issue that you raised in a subsequent debate uh, in Parliament. Um, which ties into the, the the need to take multiple issues into into account for looking at, uh, after children, making sure they've got the right sorts of protection and uh, opportunity. And and that was you, you were talking in that debate about the uh, you, you, the need to to have you know, some protection for children. And, and specifically, we're talking about trafficked children and the multiple forms. Uh, of abuse that they face in a debate in uh, 2016. Uh, at that point, you were you were pointing out that Scotland had brought in independent child guardians, and uh, you know had also brought forward the Human Trafficking and Exploitation Scotland Act uh, of 2015. Again, asking for a, a you know more from Westminster. What can you talk about that? And just tell us what your experience was about you know putting forward those issues, and again, what was uh, you know what came back in terms of the response? Yeah, I think that that debate um, came in the aftermath of myself and my colleagues from the Justice and Home Affairs team. We'd attended a refugee camp, Cali, at the time during probably the height of the crisis of um, migrants entering the UK and really perilous conditions, fleeing from truly hostile environments in countries where perhaps even partly contributed by our own foreign policy and here in the UK, people were fleeing from Syria and other countries and arriving on the shores of Cali and other countries. I think going to these um, sites where people were held in detention camps, well, in refugee camps, families and young children, children who had been sent overseas unaccompanied and for me that that unaccompanied minors these children were in perilous situations their parents had spent perhaps every penny they had to get them to a safer place in the world and and these were the same children who were being trafficked and exploited by criminal gangs and the UK government has a responsibility first and foremost the Home Office Mm -hmm. has a responsibility to consider its role both internationally and domestically and I think the Scotland's response, and we've seen that in the local authorities across Scotland, and the overwhelming response that we took to accommodating unaccompanied minors and, and ensuring that young people who arrived here in the UK and in Scotland would be safely accommodated, they would be looked after by local authorities across Scotland. And I think we took a substantial share of those young people arriving in the UK. In contrast to that, I think there was a, a genuine reticence from the UK government to offer the same response. And that, for me, strikes at the heart of where, despite the limited powers we have in Scotland at this time, if we had full control, for example, of of the economy, of the Treasury, of um, home affairs, if we had the ability to, to welcome people to our country, to enable them and to protect young people from a perilous situation, we've evidenced that we can do that here in Scotland and that we will do that and we will respond quickly and effectively. We'll put in legislation protections to ensure that any young person is looked after regardless of where they originate from and ensure that young people are safe mm-hmm. um, and that message I think really translates and you see really effectively the the kind of reintegration programs that we saw in local authorities where we were rehoming families and 
and council it, houses it, and areas. It's deeply disturbing and emotional when you see that there's when when there's no action taken to support or protect children yeah. in these circumstances, and some of the uh, the case studies are absolutely devastating aren't they but but it's also as you're saying it's deeply rewarding and emotional in a really positive way when you see you know people uh, being treated properly young young people children being treated properly getting the opportunities to thrive in society and and contribute and and, and that is such a big difference in the cultural approach to this big political issue isn't it at the moment yeah and i think i think recognizing that every young child has a potential and being able to to give them the opportunities and the life chances to achieve that potential is so important. And I think the yeah. Scottish Government have really taken a whole picture approach to how you can both enable and and give that mobility to a young person to, to go through their life and have all of those opportunities, regardless of background or income. Well, well, let's let's talk about that whole uh, children approach because one of the um, successes, in my view, I know you share this view, uh, of the Scottish Parliament was incorporating the UN uh, Charter for Children's Rights uh, for Human Rights of the Child into uh, Scots law at the last Parliament. This is something that was uniquely or almost uniquely a, a, a cross-party affair, including every single party. Um, in the Scottish Parliament voting for this uh, and something really to be proud of for everybody that voted for it. I think you would agree with that. Um, but yet there's, there's been a different response from Westminster, hasn't there? Yeah, and I, I think this is a prime example. The UK government obviously has international obligations and, and the Scottish government has, of course, taken those international obligations and they have sought to enshrine them in law. Now, no one, I think, conceivably ever argue that the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child is something that would ever be up for debate. It's something that we would absolutely want to enshrine in law and it's something that we would fundamentally want to ensure that every single child has their rights, their responsibilities and their their protections enshrined in law. It's it's almost impossible, impossible, isn't it, to think that somebody might not agree with that. It's absolutely inconceivable and I think you can see in the response that that many people across the UK have actually said this is quite a strange position of the UK government mm-hmm. to take to take a piece of legislation that the Scottish government has enacted in legislation and to challenge that in the Supreme Court. And I think per- perhaps rather worryingly, this is a, a sign of things to come for the UK government that we will see more of these challenges to the Scottish Parliament's ability to to enact its democratic responsibilities and its its democratic duties, and and I think we are getting into very dangerous mm-hmm. ground when we start to challenge something as sacred as an international obligation or a treaty on the UN rights of the child. Well, of course, yeah. of, of course, if you've just alluded to the fact that if Scotland had these uh, powers, that here in Scotland we wouldn't have to worry about that kind of thing. You could legislate, you know, for. Uh, this as we have done and know that it's not going to be challenged that children are going to get those protections uh, that, that are needed clearly um, that uh, it, and, and it does more than just put into law it makes a statement about uh, a country it doesn't it, about the people and their attitude to uh, to uh, children and their rights as well we've just had the the election in Scotland uh, the Scottish parliamentary election um, where a majority of 
MSPs that have a man- mandate for uh, an independence referendum in their uh, manifestos have been elected to that parliament. Um, there is an opportunity, is there not now, to put the people of Scotland the fact that they can have the choice uh, to do things differently, make sure that these kinds of protections, these kinds of actions over child poverty, over the protections about uh, trafficking, making sure we've got the right protections in place, the, the ability to enshrine these things for ourselves and actually set out our our own country's views. That is there. It's up for grabs now. Um, it shouldn't be. Uh, it shouldn't be something that is debatable or anything. It should just be going ahead and happening. We should have, be able to give this choice to the Scottish people now, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And I think what we what we saw in this election was a significant mandate from the Scottish dem- um, democracy to say yes. The SNP with the Greens as pro-independence parties have a mandate to take forward the opportunity to have a referendum on the independence um, question in Scotland. And I think, I think whether it's Brexit or whether it's years and years of us being actively in the UK Parliament and being unable to achieve the changes that we all sought out to change mm-hmm. and to work towards that people are now really questioning, you know, who is best placed to take those decisions. Is it a parliament in Edinburgh which is democratically elected and accountable or is it a Westminster government who, which is still partly undemocratically elected and wholly unaccountable and more often than not disregards the democratic will of the Scottish population and we've saw that through Brexit and time and time again through and the, the internal market bill and, uh, and many other things where they've sought to, to overrule the powers of the Scottish Parliament indeed. Well, thank you very much indeed to Angela Crawley. There we have it when it comes to tackling child poverty, reducing inequality and the income gap. It really is a tale of two governments. The UK government is going to court to prevent the UN chapter, uh, Charter on the Children's Rights from being incorporated into Scots law, even though every single party in the Scottish Parliament, yes, including the Tories, uh, voted for it. It's clear to best protect and nurture our children and for future generations, we need the powers of independence. My thanks again to Angela Crawley. You can find out more about her work at angelacrawley.com. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. 